So what do we do now? This is the Final Round Podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. And now your host, Chris Marquardt. Good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this edition of the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast. Excited to have you along for the ride with us this evening. Episode number 90 on deck. Jason is working remotely, so we're going to have him. Uh, Unfortunately, he doesn't have one of his cool backgrounds on quite yet, but he does have that cool uh, launch picture of the space shuttle when he was down there in person. We'll get a chance to look at the newly cleaned office space with with Jason, and we're going to welcome Josh Costa to the show, talk a little bit of drag racing action on motorcycles uh with josh here there is there's jason over there hanging out jason man how are you i'm uh really well chris how about yourself we're doing okay getting by yeah same it's uh it's been really busy i know for me uh i don't know how uh the schools are doing but i know our school district is uh close to going back uh well they actually sent a letter home and said that they're gonna have all the kids go back either uh full-time uh i think I thought it was four days a week, um, and yeah, basically, if the kids are going to go virtual, so it's it looks like it's potentially getting back to normal here. And I will say, business conditions wise, it's been really, really busy, and uh, we got race car projects going on. I'm getting updates from uh, Ben Height, uh, new windows on the race car. I saw the headers uh, all done last week, uh, so yeah, it's been really super busy here. I'm sure, probably the same with you as well. Yeah, I mean it's been uh it's been <laughs> there's there's no shortage of things to do. Um <laughs> so we uh as you know over the summer we had new uh siding, new soffits, new gutters and stuff like that put on the house. And Sunday we heard a big crash. We started looking all over the upstairs trying to figure out what fell over. We thought something was stacked up funny in the kids' room and there was nothing and couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything and and I happened to peek out the window a little bit of a shine through the window on the second floor happened to catch my attention and the fascia board new soffit and new gutter had all fallen off the side of the house in the wind and landed on the um on the metal roof on the the first floor it ruined the gutter and everything so we uh we called the contractor and he said you better get a hold of homeowners um but with that fascia board off it opened up the second floor to all the squirrels and stuff oh boy so he came by and threw a new fascia board on and, and we were good. But now homeowners insurance is talking about not covering it because there's no way for them to see the damage underneath that fascia board. So they can't tell exactly what caused it. And, uh, and while I was up there, uh, I figured now it would be as good a time of any to take a look at the, we got that old chimney in the garage where the, where a wood stove used to be. And I yeah. noticed a couple times now there's been some, some water dripping in. And when I went over to check that while I was up on the roof, uh, the top of the chimney, the the cinder block uh, framework of it, you could take it apart by hand. The water had gotten in and cracked it, and it started to fall apart. So I took down that chimney uh, and and the clay sleeve and everything, and then uh, realized that the steel roof on that part of the house was put over the top of shingles, which was over the top of flashing, and everything was, was layered up with the flashing on the ground up against the, on the, the, the lower level, up against the rectangle of the chimney and just thick uh, roofing rubber into place. So the patch on the wavy um, steel roof that, that I had cut wasn't going to work. 
So I just I, I just pushed all of the the remaining flashing into the hole and and took a couple pieces of. Ironically, it was a couple pieces of old RC car body, um, <laughs> and <laughs> RC derby car sheet metal. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, gooped up the edges and put it over the top and, and, and roofing taped it and sealed it the best I could. And uh, good test today to find out that uh, it still leaks just like it did. Well, I would say this might be actually a blessing in disguise, right? Because uh, this this new stuff coming down might actually have uh, at least alerted you to something else was going on there, right? Yeah, Um I, I I don't know. When I was trying to pull on it, it, it was moving pieces of the metal. And so there's there's obviously some moisture in some of the wood that was underneath there. And I'm afraid by breaking it apart, it has caused some of the blocks inside of the garage to crack as well. Um, but they're still, they still seem to be structurally sound. So I'm not going to – it's not like there's any heat going through it or anything. So uh, that's where we were at. That was kind of exciting. Well, I would say definitely more exciting than me. We're still uh, putting ours back together. Uh, Siding and windows are done. Bathroom is almost done. I'm really looking forward to having it all done. Uh, the dust in the house is just killing me. Uh, um, I know I sound nasally normally, uh, but I might sound a little more nasally. I've been stuffed up basically for the last uh, two months, it seems like. Every morning I wake up and my nose is completely stuffed, and I'm, I'm just convinced it's because of drywall dust essentially being recycled through the house for the last two months. So really looking forward to the weather warming up and uh, being able to open up some windows and go outside. And, uh, and yeah, not have construction people here. It's going right. to be nice, hopefully. How's uh? How's our guest tonight, Josh Costa, waiting in the wind wings to talk a little so, bit about uh, motorcycle drag racing. We appreciate you coming on the show a little bit. I got to see some uh, some live NHRA coverage on Sunday on Fox. That was kind of cool. They had the bikes were were front and center there. Yeah, yeah, I was watching. I was, I would say, uh, is that what you would uh, aspire to do, Josh? If you were, if you had, uh, let's call it unlimited funds, would Pro Stock Motorcycle be uh, what uh, what you would go try to do? Pro Stock would be great, but they have a class that doesn't run NHRA called Pro Street. Okay. And they are basically street bikes, Hayabusa's, um, GSXR 1000s. The motor combos are pretty much unlimited, so a lot of the bikes are turbo-charged Hayabusa's running on methanol, and they make about 700 horsepower, and they have no wheelie bars, and they're, it's incredible. The record right now is actually from a GSXR 1000 turbo. He set the record last year at 638 at 232 miles an hour with no wheelie bars and to me that would just be the ultimate that is crazy um you know i've often so i i, I have a motorcycle i am uh, and i'm curious to hear kind of your background i am a terrible motorcycle rider i haven't crashed or anything like that but i'm just not very comfortable or confident on the bike itself but i've always looked at the motorcycle riders and uh racers i guess i should say and thought that they were absolutely crazy and you know you watch them on tv and uh you know the top fuel bikes you know larry spiderman mcbride and even yeah. the pro stock guys you watch them race and you know how they're leaning over and the front wheels off the ground and um yeah. it just seems crazy to me um 
But that's uh, I, I, that's what you would. I mean, if you had your choice, I mean, you would really like to go that fast on a motorcycle if you could. Yes, I'd love to in a heartbeat. I, the only I don't know if I would run one of those top fuel bikes. I mean, those things are insane. Those guys have to wear Kevlar vests, literally. Yeah. Because they're laying on the motor and guys, you know, they've had motors detonate and they literally have to wear bulletproof vests and those bikes weigh a thousand pounds, I think. But a pro street bike or a pro stock motorcycle, yes, in a heartbeat I would. I didn't catch the gentleman's name, but he ran through four straight 200 plus mile an hour passes uh, in in order. Oh, yes, that was Matt Smith, who is Ricky Smith's son. Did he end up winning this past weekend? Yes, yeah. he did one. Yeah, yeah, that was that, was, yeah, that always surprised me, honestly, that uh, he got into racing pro stock motorcycle and wasn't, uh, you know, didn't get into pro stock like his dad did. But uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's talked about racing pro mod. I think he's, you know, tested in pro mod. And but, you know, he's just I, I was actually surprised, too. If I was in his shoes, I'd definitely love to get into a pro stock car or a pro mod. But. So he I, I guess, uh, you know, the first question I have is, uh, so how did you get into drag racing to begin with? Uh, you know, were you, uh, just a motorcycle enthusiast essentially and said, Hey, I'm going to go take my, my bike out to the track and see what happens. Well, I've always been into drag racing. You know, I've always been a fan, you know, I remember going up to Leicester back when the national events and, you know, I've been to NHRA events and always watch it, you know, on TV since I was a kid, I had national dragster subscriptions and. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. But I was always, you know, kind of a bike guy. I grew up riding dirt bikes and, you know, just graduated to street bikes and, then it just kind of, yeah, we just started at Empire going up on Wednesday nights, just having fun, and it, you know, kind of progressed from there. Now, was your uh, was your family all into motorcycles? So is this something that, uh, you know, did anybody ever race, drag race at all? Uh, I mean, how did you end up even getting national drag I mean, was... Well, was- you know, my, my dad raced a little bit back. He was more of a street racer back in the 70s, you know, yeah, I tons of stories about his gto and you know but my dad's always been a gearhead always into cars and bikes and you know it just so it was kind of just passed down to me and i just you know kind of graduated from bicycles to you know rc car you know i just liked having things toys that go fast and sure you know working on them and upgrading them and you know it just kind of progressed but it always seemed to have two wheels on it mostly for me I would say you mentioned RC cars. I'm sure uh, Chris's ears perked up the instant that you said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to love RC cars. I had an RC10 back in the day, and, uh, yeah, I used to love them. Now, did you uh, did you ever race any of those? Uh, yeah, yeah, I raced a little bit. They had a track behind Peter's Party Complex in Leicester, which is now a church. Okay. And uh, I raced a little, but mostly just me and my friends, you know, messing around in town. I would say, uh, you know, like uh, that uh, Dagnolo is like the king of all kings with regards to RC racing, right? Pete? Yes. No, but I'm not surprised because it seems like anything that guy touches, is, <laughs> he wins in. So <laughs> it yes. doesn't surprise. 
Yeah, he is. Uh, he is definitely ultra talented. I've I've watched him. I, I watched him as a kid actually when he was racing RC cars, and uh, you know it's just amazing because he has. And it didn't surprise me that he was really good at uh, drag racing, just because watching him race RC cars, he just had a fantastic um, uh, ability to concentrate. That uh, you know, it's it really incredible, especially for as young as he was at the time, and. Uh, but yeah, he was, uh, you know, completely sponsored and they'd fly him down to the snowbirds in Florida every year. And basically wow. he was the ringer. They fly him down there and he'd compete, win and get pictures with the, with the trophy girls and then, you know, fly back home. And yeah, it was pretty incredible. So you're telling me that Pete's been winning probably longer than I've been alive. Then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd say my guess is Pete has probably more RC wins than I have uh, total drag racing wins in my 30-year racing career uh, yeah. uh, he's, yeah. uh, he's something pretty, he's pretty darn good uh, so I mean you started uh, you know you know let's call it just fooling around a little bit with the bikes you know when did it turn into all right now I'm gonna I'm gonna build a drag bike or I'm gonna go out to the races every single year or every single well, week you know I, I started competing more on you know Wednesday nights I started winning on Wednesday nights and, you know, started coming to Saturdays and, um, I just, I seem to do well at it, you know, like all my other buddies, you know, we all started going kind of at the same time, but it just seemed like it came fairly easy to me, you know, just as far as the basics. And once I started, you know, winning rounds and winning races, you know, that I've always been very competitive with whatever, you know, and it just, you know, it lit that fire and I love it. I love to compete. I love, you know, the pressure and, you know, it's just, it just graduates from there. And, you know, you know how it goes from there you just start spending more money and <laughs> going to bigger races and, but I love it. You know, I, I just, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have racing really. I think it was you actually that posted. I think it was on your timeline that you posted something along the lines of, uh, "Yay, I got fourteen hundred dollars in stimulus money coming." And uh, then there's a picture of, uh, uh, you know, big tough guy. He's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "My motorcycle has you know fourteen hundred dollars coming for it, right?" Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know that's how it goes. Certainly, uh, you know, you go through and as as you compete, you know, you want to go a little bit faster and. Uh, you know, try to, you know, I guess in certain cases, you probably think that you can make yourself uh, even better than what you're doing. But, uh, um, yeah, I don't know if you're I mean, I don't know with motorcycles. I mean, I don't know a heck of a lot about what's important to drag race a motorcycle to make a motorcycle consistent. I mean, certainly I would guess that, you know, wheelie bars have got to make a huge difference, right? Yeah, there's kind of two sides. There's kind of, you got two different, basically groups when it comes to motorcycle racing you have the bar bikes and then you have the no bar bikes and us nor no bar bikes we kind of take that as a point of pride because being able to launch you know leave the line on a bike that has anywhere from two to three hundred horsepower with no wheelie bar you know it's all about you know, clutch control and your coordination with clutch and throttle. And it, it really is difficult to do it fast and do it consistent. And that's the biggest thing, you know, as far as riding the bike. But I just 
you know, I love bracket racing too. I love the strategy. I've learned so much from John Pelican is one of my best friends. He was my best man at my wedding. And he's taught me a lot about the strategy and the tactics behind. I mean, I love racing motorcycles, but I love bracket racing also. You know, there's so much more to it than what people think. And I just love the, the games and the tactics and the strategy. You know, it's just, I love it. Now, at Empire, and I have multiple questions here. I guess the first question that I have is at Empire, can you compete with the cars? Yeah, we, the bike class kind of petered out, so we run pro now. I can run in pro. I I race pro uh, a few weeks a year up there. I still love, you know, racing against bikes and sleds. I go to Estelle a lot. They have a great bike program out there. You know, we can have 30, 30 bikes and sleds in a field. I go to Lancaster sometimes, and but we've been traveling a lot more, going up and down the East Coast to bigger, just bike-related sanctioning bodies. And uh, I was at Indy last year. This year, I'll be at Norwalk for a race and go to Maryland a lot. Now, who's the big uh, bike sanctioning body now, Uh was it AMDRA? No, the XDA is um, the biggest one. That's run by Jason Miller, who he's done a lot of big races. He does, like, import versus the world. That's, like, a big import race that they have at Maryland every year. He's down in Texas right now for that uh, uh, T2K or whatever they call it that they have every year. It's a big event down there in Houston. It's street racing and track racing. He's, he's him and his brother, you know, have been promoting for years and he's known as one of the best track prep guys in the country. And, but there's other, there's other series too. The one at Indy is run the sanctioning body for that is called NHDRO. And they, they, they normally have more races out in the Midwest, but they're having a race at Norwalk this year, which I'm excited to run at that track. I've been there as a spectator and, Man, I can't wait to run there because that track is just gorgeous. Yeah, it's a beautiful facility. Uh, now, when you go away to these races, is it typically just uh, still bracket racing that you're doing, or do you fall into a particular class? They have We have a bunch of different classes. They have your typical street ET and pro ET, which basically the only difference is pro ET. The guys can run delay boxes, but you could still enter without a delay box. Then you have you know your pro street, which I was talking about earlier which would be comparable to pro mod in cars. And then you have real street, which would be comparable to pro stock. Then they have a lot of index classes too. Um, You have crazy eights, they call it, which is an 888 index on a pro tree. You have your super comp 890, and they have some slower index classes also that I don't, I normally don't run those because they're, it's just too hard to slow the bike down that. Now you're your bike is pretty fast, right? Yeah, uh, my bike on you know 850s, 860s all day, and it's uh, stock motor. It's been 830s, so it's kind of hard to slow down for like a 950 class without you know electronics. It's tough to kill that much. That is a stock. I, I don't motor? run throttle stop, so and, and that's, that? the, that's with a stock motor. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. How the heck, yeah, I, I how the heck is that bike going so fast with a stock motor? 
Well, you know, I've worked, I've done a lot of work to get the chassis right. And, you know, I just, it's all about the chassis and the suspension and, you know, shedding some weight and just getting the tune right. And I mean, when it ran eight thirties, that was at the end of the year in October air, which obviously makes a huge difference. But in the summers, it'll, in the summer, it'll run eight fifties, eight sixties, which it's pretty good for, you know, a stock motor bike. That's that's incredible. I mean, I knew that there were fast bikes out there that could, you know, run in the low 10s, uh, high 9s as a, as a stock motorcycle. And I figured, all right, yeah, if you have the, you know, perfect rider on it, all the rest of it. But I honestly didn't think that just with some, let's call it chassis adjustments and stuff like that, that you could uh, get a bike to run that fast with a stock motor. Oh, Jason, you, I mean, these new, the new bikes now, the new 1000s that have come out, that they set the record for a stock motor bike at Maryland in September, I think it was. They put a, a, a kid on it. This kid was 16 years old and weighed like 100 pounds soaking wet. But they yeah. put him on this bike that was stock motor, but was completely set up for the track. And he went eight oh oh at 173 miles an hour. <laughs> stock no nitrous it had you know race gas and whatnot but i mean it's just unbelievable these bikes now the new bikes the 1000s can make you know easily over 220 horse after you get them set up and get them tuned right and you know it's just it's insane how fast they've gone so, i mean to go 800 on a stock motor is just mind-boggling i mean i just no, I mean, I agree. I mean, that is just absolutely incredible. I'm I'm just really in shock sitting here uh, listening to this. I, like I said, I I figured that, you know, I was going to hear about, you know, all the modifications that you made to the motor of your of your bike to be able to get it to run as quick as it does. And the fact that I'm sitting here listening and saying, no, nah, it's just a stock bike. Are you running race gas at least? In the summer, usually I run pump, but... Sometimes I will run MR12 when I, you know, when it got into the fall and I wanted to see how fast this thing could actually go. I ran MR12, which is VP87 oxygenated, but it's 150 bucks for five gallons. So I don't like to run that all year. Plus bracket racing, you know, there's no need for it really, you know? No, I mean, I, I have to say, I completely agree. I mean, unless, I mean, if you were to put race gas in your bike, how much quicker would it go? Well, MR12 is probably worth fifteen hun, maybe two tenths. So I mean, that's a lot, but I mean, you're not talking about. So your bike goes eight fifties, you said? Yeah, it'll go eight fifties. It's been eight forties in the fall on pump gas, but like I said, in the summer it can go sixties, fifties easily just on pump gas. Yeah, so I mean, you're not talking about a gig. I mean, yes, I mean, from a drag racer's perspective, two tenths is a lot, but you're not talking about a gigantic difference. You're talking about going from, let's call it, running eight fifties to eight seventies, um, you know, during the during the day and you know during the summer, and that's that's not significant in my mind. I mean, for two tenths like that bracket race, and I definitely wouldn't pay the extra money uh, to uh, to go two tenths quicker to bracket race. No way. No, no. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So what, uh, so you are, it sounds like you are kind of a, 
uh, I guess we'll call it a zealot, right? You're a zealot with regards to the no wheelie bar rule? Yes, definitely. <laughs> now, why is that? It's just a point of pride, you know. Uh, it takes, it, like I said, it's very difficult to, you know, cut, you know, have a 129 60 foot with a hand clutch on a bike that can easily stand straight up if you wanted to. And to do it consistently enough to be able to bracket race, you know, it's a point of pride for a lot of people. It's like the old school, you know, bar bikes are considered old school. So it's like the old school versus the new school. So bar bar bikes are considered old school. Yes, definitely. Ah, interesting. Okay. Um, so how do you, I mean, when you're leaving the line, and, and again, you, you mentioned something earlier, and it brought up, like I said, a, a few questions for me. So when you're leaving the line, are you slipping the clutch completely by feel? Yes. You, you know, you set your RPM and then, and let me say right now, the past couple of years, I upgraded to what's called, uh, we call them hand sliders. It's just basically the motorcycle version of a lockup clutch, which that takes a lot of the skill out of it. But that's what everyone is using these days when I go out of town at these big events. So if you show up with a hand clutch, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. You know, I still love riding hand clutch bikes, but it's just... You know, there comes a point where your ego, you know, can be detrimental if you actually want to win against the top riders in the nation that all have these lockup clutches now. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Uh, you know, there's multiple multiple things that I can talk about uh, from my own personal perspective. I mean, we ran a five-speed, a manually shifted five-speed uh, when my dad was still alive and tried to run super gas uh against guys with it uh, all those years and you know with with guys that were running trans brakes and you know that was typical to, for the longest time uh you know i refused to you know kind of conform and do what everybody else was doing from a throttle stop standpoint but yeah. uh, like i said it gets to the point where yes i like being unique and yes the car was fun to drive the way it was but uh but you like winning also i like winning too there's no exactly. doubt about it and exactly. uh yeah. So from that standpoint, I, I totally understand. It's, um, you know, the, I hear it every year, you know, it's technology, you know, keeps it evolving and people, the people that are willing to spend the most amount of money, it forces other guys to, you know, basically that's why heads up racing now is so difficult, you know, obviously because it's a big money game and it's even like that now in bracket racing with the technology, you know, and it gets frustrating. Yeah. But if you want to win, you know, I, you got to do it. Well, that's why the uh, now it's kind of well, I, I guess in this particular case. So if you were running wheelie bars, would you run what was what was the name of the device that the, the clutch device? It's called a hand slider. It's it's still lever controlled. But yeah. when I leave the line, you just act, you throw the lever. You know, the clutch, it's it's a lock-up clutch, so it has arms with weights on it, and, you know, my clutch is set up with two stages, and the clutch does all the work once you leave the line. But the bar bikes, they use what's called a full slider. They have no clutch lever at all. It's it's 100% RPM driven, so they leave on a two-step on a button, and when they let go of the button, 
it disengages the two-step and then the clutch does all the work just through rpm okay and that's that's i guess what i was going to ask is that if you were running wheelie bars would you still run the hand slider or would you run a let's call it a uh, a, 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 a classic manual clutch, but in this case, you're running something even completely different from that. Yes, they would run what we call a full slider, which is, you know, no clutch lever at all. It's it's similar to leaving, you know, in a car on a trans brake, you know, same type of thing. Now, can you can you integrate a delay box into your setup? Yep, you can. That's one of the things that you know i'm still kind of stubborn about you know just you know i still have Why? a little bit of- if you're if you're new school you shouldn't care about putting electronics on there come on but there's there's levels though you know and some some places and some classes don't allow delay box and at some point i'm going to have a second bike and then i'll have more uh, i want to have a hand clutch bike that i can ride and then you know in all out bracket bike which i'd probably put a delay box on it at that but i still just love to ride the bike you know i i i i would love to just be able to leave with a clutch and you know do ride the bike you know when i I, i'll ride my buddy's bike sometimes you know on friday nights up there that don't have any of that and it's so much fun because you have to actually ride the bike and the bike wants to wheelie and you have to shift it without a button you know it's just it's fun. It's it's not the best way to race, but it's it's fun. Well, yeah, and, and that I get a lot. And, uh, you know, that was, I don't know how old you are, Josh. I'm sure I'm older than you. Um, but, you know, when my, when my dad was, when I was a kid, my dad was racing. And I, I probably told this story multiple times on the show already, but... Um, I didn't understand why my dad was willing to go run the race the five speed and continue to go out to the track and uh, let's call it, you know, basically bring the knife to the gunfight. And it was because he loved the ride so much. And, um, you know, again, I mean, yes, it's fun to win, but you know, you talk about going, let's just say going out to empire. I mean, it's, it's not, you were not talking about competing at the U S nationals. It's, it's empire on on a Saturday afternoon. And, All right, so you won. Yes, you're happy that particular weekend. But in the grand scheme of things, who really cares? And if yeah. if if you running your bike or your car or sled or whatever it might be, um, I see I mentioned sleds. I see Ron Dean's on here. Uh, um, you know, speed racer. He's an assassin. He's beaten <laughs> like a drum for years. I beat him once in a while, but yeah, shout out to Ron. He's a great guy and an unbelievable racer. Yeah, he is certainly, uh, no doubt he is good. And he's, he's certainly a very humble and uh, nice guy. We've had him on the show before. But, uh, um, yeah, at the end of the day, whatever you're racing, I mean, if you're going to have more fun out at the track, uh, you know, racing your car, bike, sled, whatever it is, the way you want, rather than being something in more, quote, unquote, competitive, then by all means, that's what you should be doing. Um, yeah. I mean, my bike, it's good. It's a good bike to bracket race. But to go take it on a Friday night to just make passes, it's not very fun, you know, because it, it's, you know, it has auto shift. I, I just throw the clutch lever and pin the throttle and I leave and the bike does all the work the rest of the way down the track as long as I don't do anything to screw it up. You know, it's great. It's a great yeah. platform to bracket race with, but it's not really fun to just go out there and make passes, you know. 
It sounds like a super gas car. Uh, you you know, let go of the button and uh, then you just yeah. hold the wheel straight, right? Yep, that's about it. So I guess uh, so. Now this particular bike that you have now, I mean, we haven't really talked about it. So what exactly is the bike itself? It is a Suzuki Hayabusa, which okay. is a thirteen forty cc, you know, sport bike. And you have, I know, I know, I'd seen some pictures earlier. So you have, I don't know what it's called, um, but you have an extended the swing arm. Is that what it's called? Yep, an extended swing arm. So, and that is that really mostly all you've done to the bike itself from a chassis standpoint? No, I mean it's got an aftermarket shock. It's custom, you know, linkage, um, custom forks, a lot of lightweight stuff, you know, lightweight bodywork fairings. Just basically the motor and the frame is pretty much all that's left that's you know, hasn't been messed with. So uh, do you know what a stock Hayabusa or what your your Hayabusa weighed when you first had it? Yeah, they weigh about 650 pounds stock, and this weighs probably 420 pounds. You've taken 200 pounds out of it? Yeah, but let me first state that the exhaust a stock exhaust on a hayabusa weighs about 70 pounds so if you get oh, rid of that and throw on a titanium exhaust like i have you're getting rid of a lot of weight right off the bat yeah yeah i mean that's that's certainly a lot uh, but you actually have a titanium exhaust on yours yes the, is that is that so, common well for drag racing not i mean that's just one version, but the, the popular exhaust for, you know, if you're going to race a street bike, we call them sidewinders. They don't have to be titanium. There's, you know, several manufacturers that make them. And the difference is these exhausts come out the side and run down the side of the bike instead of underneath the oil pan. That way you can get the bike a lot lower, which obviously the lower you get the center of gravity, the better it leaves, the more consistent sure. it is. And... So are the stock the stock bikes? Well, I mean now, I mean you're you're really <laughs> you're making me feel really dumb here because I'm trying to think about my stock Yamaha V-Star Classic. Yeah, I would have said the exhaust comes out the side. Well, it, they, if you look, they 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 end up on the side normally behind the oil pan, and the but when they come out of the front of the motor, the the headers sweep underneath the oil pan, and then you have the mid pipe that comes underneath the bike, and then kind of moves over to the side, and then you have your slip on that comes up the side of the bike. But it's basically just to get the exhaust from out from underneath the motor. It goes on the side instead of underneath, so you yeah you know you get about four inches. A ground more ground clearance to play with yeah okay well that's uh that's pretty interesting but so i'm still though i'm surprised i'm really shocked that you were able to reduce the weight that much i mean that's pretty darn significant even with yeah. you know 70 pounds of it being uh being exhaust is the rest you know body panels and directionals and crud like uh, that fairings you know the subframe is custom aluminum and which is just basically the rear half of the frame it's a separate part of the frame 
you know, and you take off a lot of stuff that you don't need, oil cooler, you know, just a bunch of parts. And then, you know, you just, it, it all adds up. And obviously once you get to my point where my bike is to take more weight off it, the price goes up just exponentially. I mean, aftermarket wheels, you can buy carbon fiber wheels, which are like $4,000. I mean, it just gets insane if you go past where I am. I say that's uh, that's where you got to have uh, a sponsorship by like, you know, your buddy uh, John Pelican or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think you'll, I, I mean, do you think you go to that point? I mean, do you think you would, you know, build yourself a, you know, I'm guessing if you're going to go to that point, I don't necessarily know you need to change the power plant, but you're probably going to build yourself a custom drag racing built chassis at that point, or doesn't it make a difference really? No, no. For the sport bikes, it's really just the frame is the frame. You just build everything else from there. Now, when you're talking about bar bikes, they're different. I mean, the entire chassis, it, it would be like a pro mod compared to, you know, just a, a big motor streetcar where the frame and everything is completely different. So do you think you would ever get to the point where, well, I'm assuming that your bike at this point is, is a race only bike, right? Yes. Okay. So you're not, you don't ever take this thing out on the street, uh, go get ice cream with it or anything like that. No, I, I mean, I could, but, the problem is they're so low to the ground that it makes it tough, you know, because you can just bottom out so easily on the street. And yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Um, so do you see yourself ever, I guess, taking a step up from here, if you will? I mean, I'd love to. It's, you know, it, it just depends. You know how racing is. It's all about, you know, relationships and knowing the right people and having the right you know, people behind you and taking advantage of whatever opportunities may come your way and making your own opportunities at the same time, you know? Right, we'll, right, we'll right. See what happens. But now this bike came into existence basically because of a terrible mishap that you had. I was surprised you, you'd said this, we talked about it before the show, almost six years ago. Um, yep. Now that... That bike, what was that bike that you had? That was a Kawasaki ZX14, which is basically just the Kawasaki version of the Hayabusa. The motors are very similar as far as displacement, weight, size. You know, they're pretty similar. Now, on that, was that bike just as fast as, as this bike is? Yeah, it was pretty close. This bike's a little bit faster, but I've had this bike longer. And, you know, I only had that bike maybe, I think I bought it in December and wrecked it in July. So I didn't have a lot of time to, uh, you know, do a lot to it before it ended up sliding down the track at 150 miles an hour. I didn't realize you only had that bike for that short of a period of time. Uh, So, uh, I mean, talk about that past. Do you think it was... uh, possibly somewhat the accident was somewhat caused by inexperience of riding that particular bike i no i think it was more so inexperience with the situation i made it to the i was we were in the final and the guy i was racing against 
was a guy who'd never been there before, as far as I know, and he was dialed in at, I want to say, 1560, and I was dialed in at 860. Wow. So, yes, and I I never raced anyone that slow. Um, At the stripe, I was 160 miles an hour, and he was, I think, 79 miles an hour. It was something like that, like a 90 miles an hour difference, speed difference <laughs> at the stripe. So, and my best friend, one of my best friends, Matt Luke, raced him in the semis and lost to him. Same reason, it, it, you know, he was, you just, he's, you know, when you're sitting at the line for seven seconds, even though I, you know, had been racing for years and raced plenty of slow bikes, but it's just, you know, he's past half track and you're still sitting waiting for the light and you're like you know you're never going to catch him and matt warned me he's like you know just be careful don't just dial honest and don't get on the brakes because you're just he's too slow it's just it's too dangerous and you know i you know it was the final round and i really wasn't listening you know i wanted to win and that's what happened. I just was not prepared for the speed difference at the stripe. And I grabbed a little break. You know, I saw I was going to have a little bit, a little window right at the stripe. And I went to grab a little break like I always do. But it just, it happened so fast. And I came up on him so fast. I just tried to react faster, I believe. And I just grabbed way too much break. And just, it was instant after that. I mean, I just wasn't prepared for the difference in speed, I guess. Right, right. Yeah, and th- in this particular case, I mean, I though I love quarter mile racing, the, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, the whole situation was definitely exacerbated with the fact that we were racing, still racing quarter mile at that point in time. Yep, and it was at night, and I've talked to, you know, several well-known racers since then that have, you know, told me they it, the same thing has happened to them, which made me feel a little bit better. But yeah, I just was not prepared for the situation, and you know, I should have kept in perspective. It's a Saturday night at Empire. It's not a national event at Indy, you know. But like I said, it, you know, it's just I had. I guess I had to learn the hard way. Yeah, I mean that's it's easy to say that after the fact, but uh, you know once once you're on the bike, uh, strapped in the car, whatever else it is, I mean it's just a race, right? You're yeah. you don't necessarily you're not, yeah you're not thinking about what the what the venue is and the no. significance. Well, good racers, I will say, aren't thinking about the significance of this particular race or event or whatever it might be. So no, you're just um, trying to, you know, get to the finish line and do what you got to do and get the win. But right now, there's a lot. Tra- there's a lot of tracks that you know classes that have you know minimum or, or minimum dial ins to try to prevent that sort of thing for ha- from happening, but. You know, I was warned and I didn't listen before the final, so I don't blame anyone but myself. Well, I mean, yeah, that happens for sure. So you grabbed too much break and did the was it the front end that washed out on you? Is that what happened? I I don't know if I went over the handlebars or it washed out and I went I remember 
seeing the wind light and then i remember the split second i hit the ground i don't remember that split second that i actually went down i wish i could all i know is i hit with my wrist first and the first thing i can remember after the wind light is you know seeing being on the pavement and thinking oh damn my bike and then thinking oh i got bigger problems than my bike yeah, I, I would say my so my understanding was that and this is really unfortunate that you slid underneath the guardrail and hit one of the vertical guardrail supports, right? No, no, I did not. If I would have if I would have hit the guardrail, I probably would have been torn to pieces. I managed to stay on the track. They said I slid uh, probably 350, 400 feet. Unfortunately. I didn't have the best gear on at the time, and I was wearing sneakers, which came off as soon as I hit the track. So I slid about basically 400 feet in bare feet, which you oh. know that that didn't bode too well for my feet, and yeah. my wrists were just destroyed. I think that was the first thing I that hit. I think I put my hands out, my arms out, and my wrists took the brunt of the impact. Yes, and just. It just literally destroyed both of my wrists. You know, I had a bunch of road rash. I remember my wife tells me all the time when I woke up in the hospital the next morning, um, she says the first thing I asked her was if I still had all my toes. And she's like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't pretty. So how long, I mean, my recollection was the the rehab from that was not insignificant. No, yeah, it, it, it sucked. You know, my wife was a blessing. If it wasn't for her taking care of me, I would have had to go to a permanent care facility for several months, like Murray Hill or something like that. But she had some nurse training and you know, she basically did everything. She she was a trooper. She was there, you know, every second. And but yeah, it was rough. I was in the hospital for a month. I came home. I was bedridden for I think another month. And you were in the hospital a month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I you know it, it it was rough, and you know because I destroyed both of my wrists, I had no use of my hands, so I was completely dependent on my wife to do literally everything for me and that was that was tough to swallow you know as a man but she she was great now was it uh were the wrists the biggest issue my wrists they're the biggest long-term issue for sure i have i still have limited movement in my wrist especially my right wrist doesn't move very well you know my toes hurt pretty much 24 7 but well, I get used to it, I guess, you know, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. You know, you know, I could whine and cry and be on disability for the rest of my life or get on with my life and, you know, continue doing what I like to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I didn't realize that you were in the hospital. I knew that, like I said, I knew that you had some, some pretty serious rehab, but I didn't realize that you were in the hospital for a month. I mean, being in the hospital a month, I mean, you got to be pretty banged up to to spend that kind of time in the hospital. Um, yeah, I had some serious, serious road rash. I had to get a bunch of skin grafts. I think I ended up 12 surgeries by the time I was done. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
But through all that, you said, I can't wait to get on another bike. I remember the next day in the hospital telling my mom while I was in complete agony that I was never riding a bike again. But (laughs) (laughs) you know how that goes. Within a few weeks, you know, the pain dies down a little. And yeah, I was determined. By the time I got out of the hospital, I was already planning what I was going to do. And I, I, I didn't, the first pass I made on a bike after my wreck would have been, it would have been, I believe, two years after my buddy actually let me ride his one night up there. And I, I didn't think I was going to be nervous. And I wasn't nervous until I get, got into the burnout box and I was actually very nervous. It took, it took a couple of years really to feel completely comfortable on a bike again. I can certainly, uh, I mean, after being through what you were through, I can certainly understand. And, uh, you know, I, I did the, you know, this, uh, jokingly and, uh, but I mean, I, I broke my wrist a million years ago, falling off a horse and, uh, the horse basically threw me off. And, uh, even though I told myself, all right, yeah, just, you know, tuck and roll. It's like, still instinct took over and uh um yeah i mean i still stuck my hand out trying to trying to stop myself and uh um and it's not that i was really what i would consider to be terrified of getting on another horse but at the same point in time it's like yeah i don't necessarily know that i need to do that again um (laughs) yeah i'm i'm not terrified on a bike but i definitely do not want to have to go through that again i will say that 100 percent but, you know, it's like anything else. If you get in a car accident and you get hurt in a car, are you never going to drive a car again? You know, and I'm not the type of guy that can just sit in the house and watch TV or, you know, go see a movie and be, you know, I need I need that rush. And, I, you know, I'm a very competitive person. I need to feel that competition. And I just I really can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I will say uh you know, Chris uh, commented in the in the chat here, and it's he had to comment in the chat because I don't let him talk during the show. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, my mic's actually heard. been muted for probably forty minutes. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Yeah, but basically, you know, he had said that he goes, "It's it's really amazing that you're able to say, you know, that's all, you know, that's all it was, right?" Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it really is incredible to to hear you tell the story like that. Uh, I get it. I mean, uh, I can certainly, I mean, I, when you're, when you do this and you have a passion for it, you're not necessarily at some point in time, you're going to get healthy enough that you're going to say, yeah, you know what? I want to go back to doing what I really enjoy doing, which is racing. Right. Yeah. And do you really want to let an incident defeat you? You know, that's another, it's, you know, kind of a point of pride also that, Okay, you know that happened, but you know we're gonna move on and we're gonna keep going and see what we can do and see what we can accomplish. So after that, you built uh, now this bike that you have now. Did you did you build this? Was this bike a bike a completely stock bike when you bought it? Yep, I bought it. I found a great deal on it. It was used, but it was showroom condition. Only had two thousand miles on it. And I went and picked it up and 
it's never seen a mile on the street since I brought it home and immediately started tearing it apart. And, you know, I've been, I've had it three, this will be my fourth season with it and, you know, spend a little more money on it every year. It's funny because I was, I was actually going to ask if, uh, you know, did you like slowly work your way up to where you are now but it's like oh no i got it completely tore it apart make it into a drag bike and right back to where i was again (laughs) well i've been there you know with the sock bikes i learned on them which i think is a great way to learn how to race you know with the stock bike because you have to learn clutch control and throttle control because you know a stock wheel based bike obviously you know can wheelie and go over backwards a lot easier i think most racers bike racers should start with a stock bike and i i think a lot of them don't and i think it hurts them you know down the road but i'm past that point now i just you know i'm on a drag bike right right so now i mean you've gotten to the point where i mean you you work with John Pelican right uh, full time, but at the same point in time, you also have a, a your your side hustle where you're working on bikes for other people as well. So yep. was this something that you were doing prior to the accident as well? No, that's just you know it's kind of just come about you know just basically from my success and people see you know my bikes you know is well put together and. You know, I've learned a lot and, you know, it just kind of progressed from small little projects for people to, you know, building, setting bikes up. You know, they'll bring them to me basically stock and I'll set them up for the track. So I was just going to ask, so what exactly is it that from a services standpoint, uh, will you do for people? I mean, is it, uh, I saw pictures of a customer's bike that uh, looked like it was up on uh, on a lift or something like that, that you had all tore apart, uh, you were working yep. on. Um, is it uh, is it really setting up specifically for drag racing type of stuff? Or is it, you know, what, what exactly, well, I guess number one, what's the business's name? And number two, what exactly is it that you guys offer as a service? Um, my business is called JCR Racing, and I just, I can do pretty much anything other than I don't do internal motor work. You know, that's pretty much beyond my capabilities. I don't have the tools, you know, machine shop type stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, yep. But anything else, you know, it doesn't, I do work on regular street bikes too. It could be anything from setting chassis stuff up to, you know, wiring, you know, pretty much anything. So, I mean, yeah, if somebody wanted a custom, a, a separate, different exhaust put on or something like that, those are the types of things you could, you have the capability of doing on a, on a, on a motor, right? Yep. Setting yeah. up, you know, and then it gets, you know, you could set up data loggers, fuel controllers, all sorts of wiring stuff, chassis stuff, you know, custom body work, whatever, gonna, whatever they want. I was going to say, that's, that's really where, let's call it your... Um, Oh, that's that's where you shine, right? I mean, that's that that's that's your real skill set. Is let me work on the yes. chassis and, and tune this bike and and get a bike ready, and then particularly for drag racing applications, I'm assuming, right? If you if you want a bike set up for the track, I can definitely make it happen. So we need to uh, get some converts. Uh, I don't know that I do it with my uh, with my V Star Classic, but. Uh, I have to say, half jokingly, maybe not even half jokingly, I have thought about, geez, it'd be, I'd like to try it 
But you should you bring it up on a Friday night while I'm there. I'm telling you, you'll enjoy it. You know, just, I, just have fun. You, you you don't have to go down the track like a maniac. Just, <laughs> you know, make some passes. I can give you some advice. And I'm sure you'd love it. I mean, you obviously like going fast and like racing. Yeah, I say the first piece of advice you'd probably have was, uh, could you not suck so much? Um <laughs> Because I like I said, like I started the show off with, I am really not. I don't consider myself a good motorcycle rider at all. Yeah. Uh, and I can I can totally see me leaving the line and doing the bike flipping over backwards and tossing it out in front of me and uh, um, you know being a YouTube meme for uh, for the rest of my life. Uh, I ever- well, you know, I, I think I would just tell you, don't pin the throttle and throw the clutch when you leave the line, and you'll probably be all right on that bike. <laughs> just go just go down the track. Just straight line down the track as fast as you can without hurting yourself. Right, right. Now, I guess one question I had was uh, you had mentioned, uh, you know, kind of there are some places that have index racing and stuff like that. Uh, is there any, I would guess you'd be able to, you know, sort of throttle stop your bike to do index racing if you wanted to, right? They, some bikes run throttle stops. What we will normally do is adjust the shift points, you know, shift early, um, leave at a lot lower RPM, you know, basically during your time trials or, you know, even up at Leicester, you kind of play around and see what it takes to slow down, you know, and Obviously, you're going to hold a little bit at the stripe to play some games. I, I enjoy index racing. Um, I was at a race at Dragway 42, which is a beautiful facility. And Agreed. Yes. And, um, yeah, they had an 890 Pro Tree Index. And I made it to the semifinal against my buddy from Lancaster, actually, but yeah, I like index racing. I wish I wish there were some more of it for bikes locally. You know, I've watched you guys race super gas, you know, for years and I've listened to John and all you know, all the strategy that goes along with it and you know, yeah. I I would definitely enjoy doing some more of that locally. So I'm assuming that what you're doing is really equivalent to as far as not being on an index on a pro tree, what you're doing is really equivalent to foot brake racing. I mean, you're you're trying yeah, to time release of the know, clutch. Yeah, it would be equivalent basically to pro on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's something I would say, have to say that I'm I'm really interested in just because of the fact that I know so little about it. I mean, that, yeah. You know, uh, you've probably you've probably heard the term, you know, chain brain. Um, say, yeah. please, tell me, please tell me you've heard that, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know it's a derogatory term, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, growing up in a household that uh, raced cars uh, all our life, uh, you know, it's uh, just don't I don't know really any of the motorcycle racers and uh, I don't if you said all right you need to go set up a motorcycle I don't know anything about it um, and it, so from that standpoint it's, it's interesting to me because it's sort of the learning experience uh, and I find well, it interesting I'm going to send you some videos um, later on of some of the pro street bikes and just so you can kind of get a glimpse of how nuts some of these guys are in the heads up classes 
I've done some heads up racing, but you know, it's just, it's so expensive. I won a big heads up race at empire actually, when they had the no prep deal up there, they had a, a bike class when they, uh, had, they, had, the, they had a no prep bike class. Yeah. Well, when they had that big no prep race up at empire and they had right. you know, street out, they had a bike class, you know, it was heads up off of instant green and I ended up winning that against a faster bike and the, final and that was probably to me the best win because i was up against a faster bike it was heads up and i knew i had to basically win it on the line and there was a huge crowd and a bunch of people cheering and you know i got it done and that was that was that was an awesome night that's uh i would say that that is pretty cool i have to say i could definitely see that being you know a, a highlight uh uh, of a of a racing uh, career, uh, if you will. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I don't know that uh, no prep racing on a motorcycle is in my wheelhouse, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to give the track credit, even though it was technically a no prep event, um, there was a little prep work that was done when some of the promoters were taken out to lunch that day that's all i'm gonna so the track was actually in pretty decent shape but yeah you know i definitely had to be cautious leaving the line you did you know i slowed the wheelbase up a lot that'll help it keep it from spinning and yeah i got it done it was a good night well, I say that's uh, pretty darn cool. Well, I, I will say we uh, we've hit an hour. Um, it it always amazes me, but uh, the time flies by. Uh, yeah. Before uh, before we let you go, is there anybody anything we didn't cover, or anybody you wanted to thank, or sponsors you wanted to give a shout out to before we uh, let you go? Um, I mean, I'd like to thank Jerry and Clara. They've done a lot for Empire in the local drag racing scene and. You know, we appreciate all the work that they've done, considering the state of drag racing in general these days. You know, I've known them my entire life, and they're great people, and couldn't couldn't imagine better people running running that track now. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and uh, obviously, you've already thanked your wife. Uh, you got married last year? Two years ago. Oh, it was two years ago. Okay, I was to say I yep. thought you were, I thought you still qualified as a newlywed, uh, but not not anymore. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, obviously your wife's been a big uh, big part of your life, and uh, yeah, uh, she's great. You, you gotta have you gotta have you gotta have a wife that supports you from the, from a racing standpoint if you want to be able to go racing. So uh, yeah, she's great. She likes going to the tracks, you know, and yeah, it's I I I couldn't be where I am without her for sure. Well, all right. Well, Josh, uh, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. It was a pleasure talking to you. I really, uh, I mean, we worked at it for a little while to try and get you on the show. I'm really glad that you were able to uh, make some time out for us tonight. Uh, um, yeah, and definitely hope uh, to talk to you more uh, this year. Definitely, you know, keep oh, in yeah. touch and let, let's I'll hear about let's hear about how you're doing. <laughs> What's that? I say let's definitely hear about how you're doing uh, throughout the year. Oh yeah, I'll, 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 I'm sure I'll see you up there at Empire, bud. All right, that sounds great. See you guys. See you now. Thanks, Josh. Yep. And there goes Josh Costa. That is going to do it for this episode of the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast, episode number ninety. 
in the books. It was a good one, Jason. I mean, a lot to uh, a lot to digest there. I couldn't believe some of the some of the injuries that came after that wreck, but I guess it shouldn't be too surprising. But thankfully, he can still, you know, think of me thinking about you know the, the most tragic of outcomes that could have been. He's he's really lucky. Oh, he's yeah, he's definitely super lucky. And uh, like I said, I thought that uh, I know that I heard from somebody that that he had slid under the guardrail, and it's like when you think about it, it's like man, that would just be really, really catastrophic. And it's not that his injuries weren't severe; they were definitely severe. But uh, yeah, he's lucky he wasn't killed. I mean, that's what it gets right down to. Sliding that long, I can't. I mean, road rashes. It's it's not oh. even on the radar of road rashes. I mean. Oh no! Yeah, that's. No. I, I'm hoping that uh, I can go the rest of my life and say I never experienced that, aside from right. uh, being a kid and falling off my bicycle. Right. 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 That would be. Uh, <laughs> that would be the best outcome there. Right. All right. Well, we'll do this again in a couple of weeks. Here, looking forward to seeing you all then. Hopefully, you have a good week. In the meantime, enjoy your weekend. And racing season is coming up quick. Get all your cars ready. We look forward to having some more conversations with our favorite drag racers from the area. We look forward to it. We'll see everybody next time. This has been the Final Round Drag Racing Podcast, coming to you live from the FingerLakes1.com studios in downtown Seneca Falls, New York. We'll see you right back here again in two weeks. Thanks for watching.